Hey, Slackers, I'm Matt. And I'm Jesse. We host American Slacker, the show that keeps you updated on all of the weirdest news around the globe, along with what's going on in the world of Xbox, music and movie suggestions, and fun interactive games. Every other week, we bring on interesting guests from all walks of life, from filmmakers to musicians, funeral directors to small business owners, and even Jeff Goldblum. What? No, we never got Goldblum, man. Oh, a man can dream, can't he? American Slacker Podcast. New episodes every Wednesday. Available on Spotify, iTunes, and all of your smart devices. Or anywhere else, you know, you might happen to cop a podcast. They're downloading MP3s, not buying an eighth. I'm shutting this shit down. That's it. There you go. Today is the day of the national of forty years that a- the movie Alien came out, nineteen seventy nine. Um, we're going to talk about Alien. Uh, with us is uh, Vince. Hello. And uh, our special guest with us is Carlos Omar Dileon. Hello, Carlos. Hey guys, how's everybody doing? Well, thanks for coming back to the show. I, I kind of shot you a little uh, to see if you're interested, and you kind of said yes. So thanks for coming again again. Yeah, no prop. <laughs> right. Um, I would I, I definitely like to get started with you because um, you definitely said that this is one of your most, one of your favorite horror movies. But um, what is it about Alien do you think has an attraction for everybody? I think it has to do with the the realm of possibility, the way it was filmed, and the way it was structured uh, with Ridley Scott and. Um, Everybody at the Brandywine uh, Productions, which was like Walter Hill and all of his produce, producer friends. He's, yeah, Walter Hill is the guy that did like the Warriors, 48 Hours, his production company. Uh, they got the, the script of it. And when they first got it, it was like a B-movie grade, like something Roger Corman would make. But then when Ridley got on there. <laughs> I hope everybody knows who Roger Corman is, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ridley got in there and he saw potential in this and he just decided, hey, I just want to make the, like a really good space horror film basically he wanted to make the texas chainsaw massacre in space and i think he succeeded in the sense that it's the sense of like it's it's realistic in this well in the sense of sci-fi it's super realistic that you know we go to a planet and then you're stuck in space with this thing that's on your on your ship that can kill you at any time it's like so claustrophobia and it's it it presents itself like it's so realistic that you can and the characters are so relatable because uh obviously uh saguna weavers are Ripley characters like she's like total like protocol while everybody else is human and they yes, they err yes. on the side of, yes. they err on the side of oh hey oh no it's, it's our friends our friends yeah but if we let our friends in here something's gonna get in here it's gonna kill us and I think that's the sense that that people like it's because it's so relatable and it's so realistic 
Vince, uh, what do you think everybody's done? Well, you know, I, I mean, you're nodding your more. head. I couldn't but... agree more about the about Ripley <laughs> being about protocol, right? You know, because I'm like, I always have this thing that every horror movie, in order to be successful, you have to have that one moment where someone does something really stupid, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. in that moment was letting the guy back on the ship, right? Where the, the um, I forget the character's name, but he was the android that opened the door and overrode Ripley. And I'm like, yep, that's the moment they're all going to die. <laughs> Oh, Ash, Ash. Ash, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ash. So, and a uh, quick tidbit, he wasn't supposed to be, uh, Walter Hill added him in there. He was uh, Dan O'Bannon, the writer, and his other writing partner, they didn't want that in there. They thought it was like, they obviously, because he's, you know, egos get in the way. But Walter Hill's like, hey, what happens if the, if the company put a, a, a plant in there? And nobody knew he was, an, he was a, uh, uh, how do you say, like a plant from the, the Wayland Utani company to put him in there. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I wanted to bring it up, a little sidebar. Um, who's having the greatest year in 1979 is Walter Hill. Um, a couple weeks, a couple months prior to Alien being released, he directed the movie as Omar, um, Carlos Omar mentioned, as um, the Warriors. Actually, he directed and he produced this movie called Aliens. I think he's been a producer for all of the Alien yep. movies afterwards. Am I right? Yes, correct. Okay. Um, so even though he doesn't do it very much directing, he's still part of the whole franchise expanding. And I think isn't Dan O'Brien, uh, Dan O'Bannon, still part of the franchise moving forward too? Uh, I think he passed away. I think maybe in the early two thousands after they did the quadrilogy quadrilogy set. Yeah. Um, he because the inspiration for like you know the the chestburster scene was he had I think I don't know he had a he had like an intestinal disease. I don't know if it was like Crohn's or something similar to that. And that's yeah. where he had, that's where he got the inspiration for the chest burst or seeing something coming out of you. And I think that's what ended up finally, uh, I mean, taking his life later on in life is because he had a uh, chronic condition, something with his intestines. Uh-huh. But yeah, he, he was, I think he was a part of all of them. Well, story by, so we, you know how the Writers Guild and everything is that they had all the legalities. But yeah, yeah, up until I think until he passed away, he was involved with all of them. And I think to, to this day, Anytime there's a movie related to aliens, uh, his uh, his name and his and his uh, writing partner's name were both mentioned as uh, create uh, characters created by. Oh, nice. So yeah, anytime he's like Alien versus Predator, he would be credited as a writer for coming up with the story yes. of the alien. Oh, and one more thing about Dan O'Bannon, um, he worked. Hey, did you guys ever watch that movie with John Carpenter? What was it called? Uh, his very first movie, Dark, Dark Star. Dark Star. I was just oh, going to bring yeah, it up. You yeah. caught him. <laughs> <laughs> and he also did Return of the Living Dead. And he also did the script for Total Recall. So this guy was pretty good in terms of like sci-fi. If you, if, I don't know if you can find it. I'm not gonna, but if you could find John Carpenter and Dan O'Bannon's Dark Star, it is really like greatest B-movie. Right, it's, oh, yeah. almost, it's an homage to like a Roger Corman in outer space movie. Yeah, it was like it was supposed. It was a USC uh, like short film that blew up into a feature film. Right, the nice thing about it is it does look a little cheap. That's what kind of is the interesting, fascinating thing about Dark Star the the movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I said, we don't even want to say, people just go watch it and you'll see what we're talking about. <laughs> I think one of the aliens is like this red beach ball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's a> little... <laughs> so, uh, we, 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 uh, all of us, I think, rewatched it last night. Am I right? 
Yes. Okay, so oh, yeah. I, I, and eventually you watch it for like the thousandth time, right? Yeah, of course. Of did, course. After rewatching the Vince or Carlos, did you notice anything, something new after watching this again? After watching so many times, did you notice anything new bef- this time around? I just, uh, in this one, I think I was just more focused on like on details. And I just, uh, this time I just, because I always thought really Scott's production design is always like really, really good. But then for like 19, what, when this was made in the, what, late 70s? Yeah. I just, the production design, I was like, holy crap. I just noticed the, the more details. Like when you see, when uh, Ridley, uh, Ripley goes into mother's room, the the main mainframe computer room, and she's right. talking to mother, and you see all the details, all these buttons. And it's like, obviously in real life, uh, and those buttons don't do anything, but it, in your mind, you're like, what, what do those buttons do? Like the... <laughs> Attention to detail to everything, like the hyper chambers, uh, like the hyper space sleep pods, and all that stuff. I thought that was that was really awesome. Vince, for me, I was kind of looking like for tie-ins as to more of the um, was it the Prometheus set, right? So like yeah. I'm looking, I'm like, oh yeah, that's where those ships came from. They kept with the design and such. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really notice anything like new in terms of the movie, like that I hadn't noticed before. Other than I was like more like, ah, okay. They kept consistent as they were making the movies and such. Um, but I, I always enjoy it, no matter when I see it. I always like the part where um, the captain, oh, my God, what's, what's the character captain? Dallas. Dallas is, you know, and, like, yeah. when he goes into those bear events, it's like, that's, that's, that's a very creepy, when you're watching that at night, it's like, wow, how they got the setting and everything and the, and the feeling of being enclosed and trapped and nowhere to run, and that alien just showing up, hey, I'm in your face, and then he's dead, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you don't hear from him again, and it's like, they did such a great job with the, the setup of every one of those scenes with the suspense and then the, the payoff. One of the things, I, 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 if I want to, if I could share mine, but one of the things I noticed uh, we watching it again uh, last night was how much camera movement there is. It's a surprising how much camera is moving throughout the whole thing. Really? Yeah, especially a lot of, and I notice a lot of scenes with a lot of, there's a, quite a few scenes where no actors are in it, that you actually, the whole set is part of the story and emphasized. And, it's, and I think it's the beginning of the movie. I don't know if it's the alternate ending, the director's cut, but the whole beginning of the movie is just scenes of this is what it looks like before you've seen any of the characters. Right, for like the first few minutes. Yeah. I think Ridley, somewhere in the documentary that I remember him, and I also, like you see, I'm an alien nerd. I also have like the compilation book of the making of aliens, like two or three of them. Oh, wow. And he was saying that he wanted to make the spaceship like a haunted house in the sense that it's a character upon itself. Like yeah, that's what, yeah. well, what's his name? Ah, what's his name? He's that, he, he's the guy, uh, the actor, oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, the actor that gets killed with the chains when he's, um, Getting water droplets on his face and the chains are hanging. Harry like Dean an, Stanton. Yes, Harry Dean Stanton. I always forget his name because he's always that. Hey, it's that one guy. From <laughs> right, the, he's all that. He's all, <laughs> in everything. <laughs> and then the way that how he wanted to make that that room in that area like claustrophobic in terms of this in, in the sense that anybody can die at any minute, and he wanted to give character to the to the main ship like a haunted house, like it's an, it's a, it's a character upon itself where. The alien is its tool to take out each one of the uh, each one of the characters one by one. It does provide the. I mean, the whole art direction of this set does provide this atmosphere of very dark, 
Right, it's a spaceship, yeah. but it's almost like a horror, gothic horror house, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, who the hell? Was, I mean, out of all of us, would you guys freaking fly in that fucking ship? I would. <laughs> no way. No Fuck way. No. <laughs> right. Right. Hell no! You can pay me to get on that thing. Uh oh. The other interesting point, that, and I, I think Carlos mentioned it, is the characters are, are doing blue collar jobs, right? Even though they have like science degrees and everything, they're really doing yeah. this kind of blue collar, monotonous work. Oh yeah, and they're getting paid a ton of money. It's kind of like, I it's kind of like space truckers, basically like that. It's like you want to be like right there on Discovery money. Channel. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. <laughs> it's paid really good money, but you're doing really monotonous work. Because it's like a mining ship or something like that, wasn't it? Like a right. mining or something like yep, that. Yep. Yeah. Which is kind of fresh because we all these space movies we've seen. It's always an adventure. It's fun and it's thrilling and exciting. But here we look like they, they don't want to be there anymore. They want to go home, right? Right, yeah. They yeah. want to be with their families. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen my daughter in about a year or two years after being in deep space and just being stuck with the same people for like uh, – imagine going to work and it's the same people but being stuck with them for three years in a row. I mean, it's going to get monotonous and you don't get to see your family and your kids. Yeah, it's going to get rough. Right. Yes, yes. So uh, I was going to provide a little bit of a, a question here. Is um, I think the the main focus, the buildup, was the look of the creature, right? And I think that was the starting point that you don't really see the creature the whole time, but I think the design and what how the creature looks like really sells the movie. And I'm kind of steering right here. I think so too. I think uh, they did a combination of like what Steven Spielberg did earlier in the '70s with the Jaws, but actually Jaws, the fucking thing didn't work. This one, <laughs> it looked H.R. Giger's design, his was really like spot on. Like they did a bunch of them. There's one where you were supposed to see like a skull in the front of them. Uh, it was like it, it was translucent, but then they saw it wasn't working, so I they decided to paint it paint it jet black so it can it can blend in the shadows. <laughs> And then they got this like uh, art student. He was from Nigeria, and he was like in London. And then they saw him at like a I don't know if it was like a coffee shop or somewhere. And he's he's like six ten, and then and then they decided to cast him and then give him some like classes and like I don't know and like ballet and stuff just to be nimble. And then they put the, they designed the costume around him. And then I think the rest is history. You could see that keeping it him being so tall, the art, uh, the design of the costume being so uh, spot on. And then you use the shadows to your advantage. I mean, it, it's it's just like a perfect storm of a perfect combination. Right, and they don't overuse it, right? I mean, they use oh. the, 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 it's very snippet, very quick, and not overexposed. Am I right? Mm -hmm. See, I was trying yep. to show you that's Balahi, but what's his name? Um, Balahi Badejo was the uh, yeah. was the art. There he is. Right. So, and, um, especially yeah. when you work horror movies, you don't want to overuse your your monster too much right no you do not it's basically in the in the sense of like of all the movies that we see, like i mean all the classic horror movies that we see that are like number like the top movies that we you know all of us like or all the critics or everybody that general consensus looks you see that the best thing you can do is uh show snippets of it show little golden nuggets of it but then have your imagination take over it's usually when horror movies like in today's world uh, where you see them and they get used up too much. I mean, it's just, it, it, it loses your imagination. The most, the best thing that you could do is give people uh, just enough so they can fill in the blanks with their imagination. 
I like how they started with the creature as like basically a little egg pod, <laughs> right? No, they, they yeah. showed a oh, general yeah. progression of the creature before right, it yes. got to us. Oh, at, like yeah. the increasing danger as this thing got older and older and started growing more, right? Starting from just attaching to your face, right? And then, oh, now it has yeah. acid for blood, yep. right? And then it's now it's uh, looking more like the alien. It can sliver around. And then finally you see the alien. I think that was awesome. It was a great, great progression of it. Right. Oh yeah, that goes along with uh, uh, well, that goes along perfectly. Like it's it, you feel like oh my god, this thing's actually freaking real. Yeah. Because you get to see you don't you don't there's no like big gap of how the hell does this thing become whatever it was. You see it happen right in front of us. Yes. Yeah. It's almost a progression of this because this is just a nuance, annoying thing. To now we're in serious trouble. It's a it's a slow buildup, like a slow burn almost. But it doesn't it doesn't bore you it provides an interesting uh, buildup of just you know this is an emergency to cataclysmic to now we're in survivor mode it kind of drew me in more right so like the the, the older it was getting the yeah. more i wanted to find out more what's going to happen right so like it drew me more into the story and wanted to actually see what was going to come out from it yeah. even though i already knew right because you've seen it so many the times ass, the acid blood thing threw in like another wrench and everything of trying to kill this freaking thing because i mean if you keep you, like I said, like they were talking about earlier, like that one scene when they were trying to take the face hugger off of them, that uh, it started bleeding and it went through, what, three or four decks before yeah. it went through? So it's like, it just adds that sense of like, oh my God, if we kill this, we can't like, we can't just shoot it or burn it up because it, it'll like destroy the ship. Right, yes, yes. So it's always this idea of, even though it looks like it's just a, something that we can probably solve to it gets it's slowly getting a worse problem that we invited in right yeah you know and, and for me like the the company aspect of it kind of felt like a little bit like the cia of the government right <laughs> where yeah. it was like a, a secret side mission that no yeah. one else knew about right and that it yeah. was going to be used for weapons purposes and things it's like but yet it was a private enterprise right in the future doing this so I don't know if there's yeah. a political statement being made there by the writers or not with that or or what, but I could, I could totally see that about being like you know I think Dan O'Bannon was like super like he was a hippie I think back in the day and he was talking about like how the government that was like I think the initial treatment or any of that their their thoughts was like during during the time of uh, what was it during the time of Vietnam and how the government cut them up the cover-ups during, you know, like the massacres that they wouldn't report on. Right, the, so I'm gonna, the Pentagon Papers and all that, yeah. Exactly. And they were talking about, like, I, I'm going to guess is that, that that influenced them a lot about having this big corporation with nefarious, you know, it's just trying to get bigger and bigger, and all you are is an asset to them. So basically whatever can bring more shareholders in, more money into the company, they could care less about the crew and about anybody as long as, they can get more assets and keep getting more bigger and bigger and just getting bigger things. And like you said, uh, getting a government contract and getting a, 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 a weapon of mass destruction and, and getting it under control and then selling it to the military. I mean, that'd be like, that'd be billions upon billions. Well, in that future, probably trillions of dollars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, what it, it's, it's a kind of an underlying theme throughout the whole franchise. Every, even the sequels and the made is somehow you want to harness it and control it. Right. Or the company yes. does. The or, company does. Or, or it's basically human fallacy that we can control everything, even though we can never control anything. Hell, we can barely control our own dogs sometimes. <laughs> our own cat. Right. I think that's a central theme to this whole 
Alien franchise is the idea that there's something out there that you will never been able to control or never able to sustain or anything like that, right? Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, go ahead if you got another one. Well, you know, I mean, for me, like, you know, with this Alien movie, I, I, I liked the the final battle. I mean, I, I know we're kind of moving forward, right? But sure, when but Ripley takes on the alien, right? And like you said, when she goes down um, and she finds all the bodies, all of her comrades, yep. right, yeah. being incubated, I guess, is, is that the right word, incubated, right, by the alien, and then she just starts, you know, I gotta, I gotta kill him because like they're begging to die. I thought that was pretty. That was serious. Yeah, that was a pretty like intense moment there, where like when you saw Dallas again for the first time since he got taken, and like of how bad it was, and like you know she made that hard call, right? Where it's like I need to kill these people, and it's like would would someone else have killed Dallas and everybody else on there? Right. Or, or was she really, from the get-go, her character was the only one fit for survival? I think it goes along with what you're saying. If she's probably the only fit one to survival because she's, she takes a practical route in everything that she does. She doesn't let, yes, she wants everybody to survive and whoever's left to survive, but she's practical as hell. She knows, she's, like you said, she's like, it's, she's the first, I would probably call it the first uh, female protagonist uh, who basically acts like, um, like in that time, it was like you didn't see a female protagonist act like a man and take oh. charge of from the beginning. And she was a practical one. She was a smart one. Yeah. And she was, she was the only one. She had all, she knew because she wouldn't let her emotions take a hold of her. She knew what to do. Like basically like in, in any war or anything, you want the cool-headed person that never frets during like the, the, the most worrying times. You always want somebody that can keep their cool. And she was that to that crew. She was the one that kept cool throughout the whole thing. Even when everything was going bad, she was the one that kept her her, her calm and made, and made the right decisions every single time. Do you think, um, I think at, at, during your research and other like wasn't initially uh, Ripley's character non-gendered? Yeah, it was supposed to be a guy, I think. I think initially supposed to be a guy. And how mm-hmm. do they change? Do you know how do they change it to getting her, her on board? I think it was. Uh, I'm gonna try to clip notes this one. Um, it was when Dan O'Bannon and his writing partner approached studios to it. They all turned them down, and then right, and then they said, "Oh, we can always pitch it to Roger Corman because they had a connection there." So they were about to. Uh, Roger Corman said, "Okay, we can do it for this amount of money, whatever." And then he sent it to Walter Hill. And this is right after Star Wars was a big, huge hit, right? Yeah. Star Wars, like, super big. So every studio was trying to find the next Star Wars or next science fiction yeah, franchise. Next sci-fi we want, yeah. And then the studio, I, I think it was, I don't, I don't know what his name was, uh, but he was, he was a studio head for 20th Century Fox. And they got this script that originally Alien was called Star Beast. You can see how bad that that script, original script was, but it was just that scene where the chest pressure scene that was popping out of the chest that uh, somebody gave it to the the head of uh, Fox. He's like, this is the rest of the movie is kind of, but what's the scene? And then after that, he handed it off to David Geiler and Walter Hill and then the other producer. And then they're like, okay, uh, buy this script and then punch it up and then change the characters and change everything. And I think that's where everything stemmed. (laughs) Where they had to flip up a lot of stuff in, in, in that script to make it way better because it was you're 
general B to C grade script until Walter Hill got in there and those guys and you know they started adding adding you know changing the name to Alien from Star Beast which started sounds you know like a movie from the 1950s yeah and then <laughs> Alien just sounds really cool and it's kind of like Jaws it's just like it's it's a, it's a timeless name right and I oh yeah well I'm sorry go ahead go ahead. Oh, no. Uh, it was just basically that. It's just them, after they were getting in there, I think that's what uh, initially changed the script to what it, it came out to be. Because I, I think when they changed the title Alien, I think the attraction is that word could be used as an adjective and a noun at the same time, right? Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Describe someone yeah. as an alien and then yeah, could exactly. be an alien, right? Right. The nice thing is how you, how you, the presentation of a film, how you present it, and this is very easy to put on a poster than like a star beast or something like that. You can sell <laughs> a concept of alien very easily, right? I mean, the poster. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's another thing you can think of marketing is this using the title alien is very. It sells itself almost. Well, plus, how could they do that cool like opening sequence with the title with Star Beast, right? The alien doing the line by lines just kind of like made everything. It set the tone from the beginning, I think. You know, with doing that opening. Right. Yeah. What? Some like B grade knockoff in the future here called their movie Star Beast. And this is inspired. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I know on a side note here, um, because we talk about Roger Corman, but um, John Hurt. Who's in the movie? Um, he's the yes. one that uh, John Hurt. John Hurt actually did a movie with Roger Corman. I don't know if you're familiar. Um, called Frankenstein Unbound. You remember that movie where Raul oh, Julia? Yeah. Raul Julia like is. Early it was the early '90s, late '80s. Yeah, it's pretty much like Frankenstein meets Back to the Future, right? He has his time machine. Uh, yeah. I remember watching that like on like well back in the day we had a big huge satellite dish and we could you could get like some pay per view channels. Yeah, and I think. One of those like a free weekend, and we and me and my was it my brother were scanning, and I fell asleep watching it. But I just remember watching snippets of it and remembering it about. And I've always wanted to watch it, but I just never had time to to go find it and watch it. But I was always it looked really cool. And like you said, it had Raul Julia, John Hurt. Yep. Um, Bridget Fonda. She doesn't. You don't see her very much anymore. But Bridget Fonda is in there. But it's a it's like Back to Future meets Frankenstein, and John Hurt's a time traveler, and he wants to go find. Uh, Victor Frankenstein, who actually is Raul Julia. Nice. And it's, for a movie that like that, it's actually pretty interesting. It's a Roger Corman. <laughs> obviously, it's a Roger Corman film, so you're going to get it. But, yeah, it works very well. So now Alien itself, the movie, it did win an Oscar, right, for Best Special Effects. Um, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Best Effects, Visual yeah. Effects, I think it was uh, H.R. Geiger, Carlo Rambaldi, yeah. yep. those guys, that group of people. Yep. I have to mm -hmm. I have to agree that I thought the effects for like at that time I mean like you look at at the effects in the film Alien and you compare it to a lot of modern day today you know movies yeah they're not as CGI clean and such but they work today I think they still work I didn't think things were fake when I rewatched it and things of that nature and I I thought the effects were pretty cool Yeah I totally agree with that because it, they're actually physical things that you have to lie and then you have to like uh, put intricate detail in it kind of like it, like right now the i went to go watch avengers endgame and it's like oh the special effects are cool right now but wait give it a decade and then the special effects are not going to age that well like even the avengers from 2012 did not age well right <laughs> the special effects don't age well at all 
Like no, even some like with Alien, you watch it, it's like wow, it looks, it's believable today even. Right. Yeah. It looks, yeah. It looks very tangible, like very very organic. Where nowadays people probably, if they made it now, they would probably computer graph the the monster rather than build it from scratch. Oh, like how they did with Alien vs Predator movies. Don't get me started with those. those <laughs> right. Horrible. Right. Oh, they swim now. Okay. Right. Yeah. Oh, 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 like uh, skipping ahead to Alien Resurrection, which, like I said, I hope we don't ever talk about it on this one. We can. The do, one. Yeah, we can. They were swimming in when they were trying to escape in that spaceship, and it was flooding, and they were swimming. Oh my gosh, that just—it looks like something that was like on a PlayStation One. <laughs> PS One. It, it looks horrible, like polygon. And, oh. Oh man. Like some that 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 like hybrid. Uh, what is it? The rod puppeting uh, uh, from Alien Three looked better than that. Right. Well, I'm, I, I, I mean, I like Aliens, of course, and even the third one is actually the Prison. Yeah, the Prison one. The one yeah. rated, underrated. Very underrated. I mean, do you, I mean, do you have a copy of that one too? It went with. The oh yeah, I have. Uh, that one, no, because unfortunately, no, the suppose that they only give the presentation to those first two. I've, I've, I'm like crossing my fingers that hopefully they do that with the third one because just because David Fincher doesn't like it doesn't mean that other people don't like it. It's, it's, I've studied that movie. That, if here's a quick tidbit I, when I was a kid growing up in the, in the early 90s, that was the first one that I saw. I saw Alien 3 first and then it went back. I went Alien 3, Alien 2, Alien 1. <laughs> wow, so you yeah. saw the first one as your third alien movie okay so you, you have to have a, a, a unique then take on it then right because you saw oh, like yeah. a regression of the movie versus a progression of it exactly and i and i like i remember i watched alien 3 and i loved it i saw alien 2 obviously it was like blew my mind because it was basically a war movie with the aliens and then part one was like a horror movie and I, and I, and I and I had that I couldn't because back in the day I had a big imagination I was co- you know collecting comic books and everything and I just saw that like wow they made these movies just like a, like a comic book series would be like this arc these people made it this way and then this one it progressed this way and then it progressed this way obviously I watched them backwards but I could see the progression as it worked out obviously people hate the only thing that I because remember in part three they killed. Hick and, uh, Hicks and Newt, and I didn't know who the hell they were when they were killed off. But then when I saw who they were, and I was like a little irritated, like why the hell did they kill these people off? Yeah, right. And I, I like the analogy that they, they, all of them fit their own little movie. It doesn't like a continuation or advancing a story. All of them fit as their own individual movie. Well, like Alien, yes. Aliens, and Alien Three, and stuff like that. Right. So. I mean, even if you didn't see Alien, and even though Aliens opens up with Ripley, right, in deep space, right, waking up. If I hadn't seen Alien, I wouldn't. I would still be able to enjoy Aliens because they don't really rely upon that, right? You know, it's just like yeah. every movie has they, to open up somewhere, right? Yeah, they they recap uh, like in the beginning, like the what first fifteen minutes when she's with the board of directors saying it killed my crew. So basically, you figure out everything. Yeah. And that was perfect. <laughs> yes, yeah. They fill you in, so it's like you can just see it. I like that. Have you ever have you seen Alien in theater? Uh, that's the one that I I know they had them at the Alamo Draft House, and they, I think here at the at the Parkway, and I kept freaking missing them. I I gotta go watch them one of these times because they rotate them in and out. It's either I'm gonna go watch them back 
I, I want, whenever they bring them back, I'm for sure going. I already told my fiance that, hey, <laughs> whenever that day comes, I'm going to go watch them. <laughs> right. This is the Alien is the only one I think I have not seen in a theater, and I always miss my window to go see it. Because right. they, they did somebody a long time ago at the Oak Street Cinema in, in Minneapolis, they did a James Cameron double feature. So I had Terminator, and then they had Aliens. And so I got to see Aliens in the theater. But I've missed my opportunity to, I think this would actually be a better movie to sit in a theater to watch than your own yeah. home. Oh, Did yeah. you see the trailer that I told you to watch? The yes. one with the. With, yes, like, that yeah. was still awesome, right? Yes, please. I got to tell everybody the original trailer of Aliens. Uh, Alien. Oh, yeah. that The way it was like structured, you said how in the sound effect, that. And then it kept intensifying, 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 and then it ends. It goes Alien. Watch the original Alien trailer, you will get an anxiety attack. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no dialogue in the trailer. No. It's well, all. It's there's all... lots of scenes in the movie where there's no dialogue, right? Because, again, like you said, it's like the, the ship itself is a character that helps bring things along, and maybe you don't need a whole lot of dialogue sometimes. Right, yeah, that's one of the things I noticed right away in this movie is how limited amount of dialogue is in the movie, how limited amount of sound is in the movie. There's a lot of time where they're looking for, or they split teams, and they don't really say anything. Yeah, and it, it has to more with, like you said, it's, it's just building the atmosphere, basically. Okay, there's this thing on this ship, we got to go take it out. And then it's smarter than what they thought it was. So would you regard, I mean, obviously you love like the, the sequels uh, differently is alien the more uh, academic successful was more of the aliens movie is more of a commercial successful better movie or what would you regard as different to them i, I would say they're all like you we were talking about they're all in their own different genres yeah like the first one's basically a, a a horror a horror film the second one's a war film action film and the third one's more of a what is it's more of a character piece because uh, you, it just it shows you like how the breakdown of how uh, of of Ripley being beaten down by this thing and it takes everything from her and how she's gonna finally end it and you know and then surrounded by like what on a prison with these all these guys that are yeah, trying to get prison but basically yeah yeah they're all like different genres each single one and I would say yeah academically if people would want to talk. Uh, to talk about these films, I'd say like Alien would probably be like the one that you would show like at a at, in your like film film studies class and like film school stuff. You know, just to basically how to build character within the film without using much dialogue, and then building strong characters or, or especially strong female characters, and how to uh, break the mold in terms of making them smart and relatable, and how to care for each one of these characters even though they have very little sense of their dialogue. Yeah, one of the nice things about the movie Alien is with very little, um, you get their dynamics. Obviously, Harry Deaton, Stat, Catton, the, the the blue collar, the mechanics obviously have a relationship. They're they're buddy buddies, they're friends. Oh yeah. And then well, the well, office yeah. people, there's obviously a friction with the office people. It looks like that Dallas doesn't really want to do anything, right? <laughs> you almost have to force him to do his job, and so with very little presentation you get the sense of the crew already with with all seeing them within a few minutes yeah i mean he, he, like when they they're they're all sitting down to eat when they just got out of the the hypersleep yeah i think that right there that couple minutes scene right there just builds it on who they are and then 
their dynamics when they're starting to explore the, the planet. And then afterwards, how everything starts to break down. That certainly right there, like I said, those little snippets, they made every one of them count in terms of their dialogue. So I know we're kind of primarily focusing on Alien here, but how do you feel about the Prometheus like prequels to Alien? Uh, would, you, would you have rather seen Ripley maybe continue the story that they started in 79 with Alien? Or, or do you kind of appreciate him kind of going in and filling in his own backstory? Because I kind of liked having my own backstory on it, but, you know, how do you feel? I didn't really like what he was doing going back. It's basically like uh, it's basically like us writing, or like, Nick, you can relate to this, you writing something, and then 30 years down the line, you'd be like, you know what, let me, let me redo what I was doing to make a prequel to whatever I was doing and then mess up with what everything else was. So that's basically, <laughs> he's basically back, back to the future in himself. He's, he should have just left it alone, knowing that it's successful the way it is leaving them aliens and where they came from, what the engineers were just, you know, to the imagination and just going forward. It could have been like uh, Ripley's granddaughter or just brand new characters that, that, you know, and he reference, you slowly ref or reference some of the characters from the originals into that. But, you know, going back and trying to explain all these things, it just clogged everything up. And uh, Disney saying, obviously you saw Disney's not stopping with the alien franchise. They're just going to probably make it, hibernate and they'll probably pull like a, a last Jedi or uh, a force. <laughs> Red, don't give Ridley the, the thing anymore and give somebody that gives respect to it. Right. I, I couldn't agree more with you. Cause like the whole part of taking away like my imagination, right. I felt that he took from me a little bit by filling in his own view of it. And, and don't get started with Prometheus characters. They were all dumb. Okay. Let's run straight forward when this thing's falling right on top of us, when I can just go left and I'm not going right. to do that. Yeah, oh, let, me, let me take off my helmet in this foreign land, in this planet. Oh, let me stick my hand out to this, uh, to this snake thingy that I don't know what it is. They just did the dumbest shit ever. But that's how, you, that's how they kept the movie story moving forward, though, right? Because <laughs> if they didn't do stupid crap, then nothing would have happened. Right. My, 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 my hilarious one, because I went to the theater to see it, and I almost walked out. But when you when you have something that can map an environment, like these orbs that can map, yeah, why don't exactly. you wait till it's finished mapping the whole thing? <laughs> right? <laughs> why don't you just wait, wait, yeah. Or if it's not moving, you're like, all right, that's a locked door. Let's not go there. Right? Yeah, right. We have all this. We got, we got months of time to explore. What's the hurry? Yeah. Exactly. So, Carlos, then- I, um, I was going to ask you. Um, since you've done horror movies yourself, how would you do your own chest bursting scene? Chest bursting thing? I'd probably the same thing, except I wouldn't see. I would see less less of it. Just okay. be a little bit more, get it more detailed. I would do the almost exact same thing that he did, but just show it coming out. Maybe see it like its teeth close up. Maybe see a little bit of it. And I, w- I would get rid of that scene of it, like, running across the table. You just hear it run across the table. And maybe you just see at the end it jumping off, just like a short snippets of it. So your imagination would be like, okay, how the hell does this thing move? Where's it at? Oh, my God. I like how uh, exactly what James Cameron did with the facehuggers. James Cameron was perfect for that franchise, but what he did with the facehuggers and the aliens and everything. Because he only showed snippets of it and made your imagination filled in it. 
That's where I think James Cameron is a master at action and the master of movement because he knows what people, because he approaches things like with a physics mind and imagination's mind. He melds them both together, be like, okay, if I'm watching this shit, what would I not believe? Okay, if I see, and he, he watches it and he's like, oh my God, I, I won't buy that. If I don't buy that, definitely the audience is not going to buy this. So that's why when he did like the, the face hugger scene when uh, um, Newt was, uh, when Burke trapped Newt and Ripley in the thing, you could barely see the thing running around, but you saw snippets of it with its feet going in the dark. It's basically, that's what I would have done with the chestburster scene. Just see, like, let's say like the the shit mother would be like, oh, there's a foreign object in the room and it shuts down every single the doors and then the lights cut out and then it's not like red lights. It's like containment. It's like in process, containment process it built up the fact of like, what the hell's going on? And then you start seeing his chest bursting open. You're like, oh shit, what the hell's happening? It busts out. You only see flashes of it. And then it's in the room stuck with them. And it says like, containment, containment. And then it starts uh, shooting down like uh, the air vent, you know, trying to like decontaminate the room before it opens it up. And everybody's like, oh my God, where the fuck is this thing? And all of a sudden, it, and then all of a sudden it, the containment's over and it opens up and the thing escapes. I would have done something like that. Nice. Um, analyzing uh, this movie, Alien, uh, John Carpenter talked about there's three different ho- ways you do a horror movie is something coming after you physically from outside coming in, something coming out of you, and knowing that you're the last person on Earth and there's a knock on the door. This movie, Alien, provides all three. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Something's coming after you physically. Something's coming out of you, and just when you thought you're the last person in the spaceship and that you can take it easy, you realize you're, you're not alone. You're yeah. Not alone. Right <laughs> so I think uh, Dan O'Bannon, when he's working with John Carpenter, realized the keys to a good horror movie was provide all three in this one. Oh, yeah. I, I'm sure, like you said, he probably learned from him a ton on that. He was like, uh, it's like basically you learning from the master and if you're not taking notes from somebody who you know you admire no matter what your uh, craft is and they're giving you all this knowledge it'd be you'd be a fool not to take advantage of that and be like okay i gotta remember this guy's doing this he's he's like the master of this i better be learning something yeah yeah well i i noticed what right when i was speaking that there's a lot of similarities to john carpenter's the thing Yes. Where something's coming after you, something's coming out of you, and then when yeah. you think everything is all gone, you might not be the last. Right. right? And that that's a cool thing about it, because these guys, these movies came out within like what four or five years of each other. Yep. Yeah. Like The Thing and Alien, and then that was just like the golden age of sci-fi, I think, in terms of like it coming back and being taken serious. Even though The Thing was a box office flop, it has obviously become one of the all-time great horror sci-fi films of all time. Yeah. It, right. it's, it's yeah. In, in fact, I think The Thing was out in theaters at the same time as Ridley Scott's Blade Runner was, too. The same, yes. They were out at the same week at the release the same time as well. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> nobody went to see them. <laughs> yeah, like anybody like with scheduling conflicts, you see like what movies came out that year, E.T., e. uh, Raiders of the Lost, was it Raiders of the Lost Ark? All of those movies came out within like weeks of each other, and you're like, Back in the day, they didn't give a crap because what was it? How the box office back in the day, since it was like how it worked was a movie would debut like on the East Coast and slowly make its way around to the next coast to the middle and would slowly roll through. So you didn't really have to stagger. Like, let's say uh, Blade Runner was playing, it debuted in in New York or in the the East Coast, but then you had like ET 
dominating the Midwest. And then you had like what another what other big movie Raiders of the Lost Ark dominating in the West Coast, and they would just slowly ramp them over and switch them over. Unless it's dominating, they would just keep them there. And that's the thing I think what happened was that ET beat the shit out of everybody. It was oh, it yeah. did so phenomenal that it, it stayed in the Yeah, it doesn't get talked about, but yes, it did. It did totally did. Um, what is the? And I was going to since we're kind of branching away, Carlos, do you have a? What is the latest, the newest horror movie? What is the latest, latest one that you really t- liked recently? Oh, my newest horror movie? Oh, I'm pretty tough on those. Uh, I know. You kind of look for, you kind of enjoy the aspect. You, you you don't really look, you look not really just for enjoyment, but I know you're kind of an, a, a scholar to horror movies. But Oh, man. It, it's been a while. Oh, <laughs> I don't even think I've seen a horror movie that I actually like, enjoyed that I actually like, liked, liked, liked. Sure. Well, what about a... This Is Us, right? That's been acclaimed, oh, yeah. you know, like, or I like us, whatever that. that is called, Us, Us. I liked it, but I think the, that one I liked, I'd give it like a 7 or 8. I couldn't give it like a 9 or 10 like I did with, uh, with Get Out, because that yeah. was, I still think it's a better film. And this one, they presented it, like they like what he did with Get Out, it's one of those where it's plausible, even though it's like, you know, it's out there, but it's still plausible. Uh, it had it wasn't as Twilight zony, and this one was it played it straight until like the third act where it flipped it on us like it's Twilight zony. I'm like if they would have established the rules from the beginning that it was like a Twilight Zone alternate reality, then yeah, I would have bought into it a heck of a lot more. But then when it got to the end, I was like, oh no, I checked out because I was like, dude, you built this up like it was Get Out, and then you switch it on us with the Twilight Zone thing at the end. That's where you should have known better and presented it as an alternative reality in the beginning and try to play it straight the whole way through and then flip it on us. Like a, like an M. Night, he basically M. Night Shyamalan. That's what I was the third act. That's what I thought. So follow-up question to that then, because you did say it was so Twilight Zoney. He has been doing, um, whatchamacallit, the uh, writer of it, uh, I forget his name, uh, Peel, right? Jordan. Yeah. Jordan oh, Peel. Jordan. Right, you know, mm-hmm. he has the new Twilight Zone on the CBS streaming. Have you managed to see any of those? I still yet to watch those. Um, I've seen that ones. I think were a bunch of my friends uh, who are also filmmakers. They're like some of them like it, and then there's others that don't. And th- that that's I think that's what I like the most. It's like I want to go watch it because I like watching polarized polarizing. Uh, things so I could see where I could see both aspects of it. Sure. I probably. I'll probably end up liking it because it's the Twilight Zone because I grew up watching like all of them, like the classic ones from the 1950s to the re- to the reboot from the 80s to the other, the really, the uh, I well half of the episodes were good. The one that was on UPN with Forrest Whitaker, that reboot. Yeah. So I, I liked, I liked, I, I just like the Twilight Zone in general and the Outer Limits. So like I'm a big fan of that genre. So I'll probably, I know most likely I'll end up liking it, but I can also see why some people won't like it. I've liked some of the episodes. Some of the episodes I haven't been too keen on, but it's definitely worth a watch. So, uh, Carlos, we're, we're kind of getting uh, confined to time here. Um, is there a movie coming out this year that you're kind of looking forward to? Uh, probably in terms of – there's a lot of them. I just got done with Endgame, which was like an emotional roller coaster, which I thought it's probably one of the best movies, last best movie I've seen in five years. Wow. It was probably Endgame. It's it's I would say that I'm not gonna say anything more other than I reckon it has one of the best uh, story arcs in terms of like progression after building up 
with all these characters that we know and love over 20 plus films that it, it, it's a satisfying film. Let's just say that. I, I like that. Okay. And um, future movies, uh, there's a bunch of indie movies that I want to watch. There's this one that's called The Wind that's kind of like The Witch. It's like, but it's set out in the in the old west, where like this this demon that supposedly lives out in the wind with this uh, male and female character move out there, and then they get new neighbors, and then you don't know if she's crazy, if she's making things up, uh, or she's actually seeing like this demon appear and trying to tell her to kill her neighbors. It's called the, it's called the wind. All right, there's that one. They say it's like the, the wind. I love those horror movies where if you don't know they're crazy or everybody around them is crazy. I love those. Movies. Exactly. What was the one where uh, uh, Bill Bill Pullman? No, Bill was it? They, he was the dad, and he had oh, uh, Matthew McConaughey. Frailty. What was Frailty. 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 God's hands killer, man. That was, yep. Yes. That was a good. I don't know if he's crazy or everybody in the world is crazy. I love those. So, uh, all right. Um, uh, before we go, uh, what's coming up for you, uh, movie wise, Carlos? Um. There's that project that I sent you that you did storyboards for me. I thank you tons for that. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, that, I, I was probably I probably might have to shelve that one because of the budgeting. So I might have to come back to you on another one that we. This one's shorter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this one's more like think of it like as like a conjuring type, where it's just all set in one or two locations. It's yeah. it's more about the, I can just give you the general sense synopsis of it is. This woman wakes up from a nightmare and her husband is trying to calm her down and he, and they start talking about why she's having these reoccurring nightmares. And then she t- fills them in. I think, I know we've known each other for years, but this is the first time I'm going to tell you this. So like, you know, that she starts telling him about this incident that when her, her uncle would always come back um, from, you know, from the, she was really close to her uncle, but her mom didn't want really like her uncle hanging around her. And he would tell her that she, uh, that, their bloodline has something special that they can see things that aren't there. And then if you see the, it, but the, but also what that comes is this, um, I still got a, it's, it's called the other, it's this thing that haunts their family and it tries to kill them off. Right. And it's basically, it lit, it tries to trick them into going into dark spaces when it's, it's around. And it, in one night, she, uh, after her uncle leaves, like after arguing with her mom, she was a little girl. She hears, she wakes up in the middle of the night and goes downstairs and it's she thinks it's her uncle, but it's not her uncle. It's the thing trying to get to her. Uh-huh. And she wakes up, and she thought she she lost this ability as she got older because obviously priority is set. And that's one of the rules that her uncle says is like, as you get older, you lose this power. But every once in a while, it will come back. And that's when you have to fight it the most because that's when that thing is going to come back and try to get us and try to end our end our bloodline. Because back, it, it's it's a whole sense that like obviously, it's, I could expand it into a, a feature film. Yeah. Basically, back in the day that their their uh, their bloodline were uh, they were um, necromancers slash warlocks, witches, good witches, and these in these uh, the obviously the evil witches uh, unleashed a uh, a demon that hunts them down, uh, but also obviously wiped out all the witches. That was like the trade off. But basically, this is just all self contained. You don't hear any about that any of that stuff in this short film. It's just basically you hear hints and pieces about it that right. that's kind of like inspired by poltergeist slash um the conjuring so it's a combination of those two things about an innocent little girl but this time it's in the future she's telling a flashback of her first encountering it okay. and then the ending of the short film i will i'll save it to that but it, you'll see that it comes back okay all right 
I'm look, looking forward to it. You guys working on a title for it yet, or? Um, uh, I still think I, I got a couple of them. The one that I'm kind of thinking in, in, the one is is that I'll just call it that is the other, That's or cool. the. Uh, it, it was too like too on the nose. I was talking about like the thing that the thing, the thing in the dark or stuff like. Uh, it was just it wasn't it was is it or the thing that lives beneath us or something like that. Just something like very oblique. But you know, I was maybe thinking just something like the other, just sticking with something like that. All right. Yeah. Well, Carlos, I would say thanks for talking alien with us, man. This is fun. Yeah. And anytime you guys uh, have any uh, other feature films uh, to talk about. Well, if you have any uh, other yeah. packagings they haven't opened, just let us know, and we'll force you to open them up. And look exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, oh. it's time to time to take a flame forward to all this and burn it down. So it's not over till the guest says it's over. All right. Sounds good, guys. Take it easy. Thanks. It's over. Ah, he's got it. <laughs> <laughs>